to Matthew chapter 6. The title of the message this morning is Do Not Worry, Answering Our Anxieties with Birds, Flowers, and What We Value Most. Before we jump into our text this morning, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your grace. Lord, it's expressed here in your word. Again, Lord, you've not left us to guess what you're like. You've show us what you're like. And Lord, you even you bring instruction and care. And so, Lord, thank you for that. We pray that we lean in this morning, that we would hear from you as your word is proclaimed. God, speak to our hearts by your spirit. Have your way in us. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Well, two months ago today, this is the 13th. So two months ago today, Valerie and I were at Bayfront uh, welcoming our third son into the world. Silas, there he is back there. The green shirt. Silas um, was definitely a plot twist. But he, he, has, he has brought so much joy and love and excitement and on that day, I mean, just two months ago, I mean, we were just in awe. It, it was like nothing else. Uh, well, it was like the other two, but it, it was <laughs> it was Silas. So, but all of it soon felt overshadowed with worry when we noticed two large lumps on his head, uh, two lumps that I had no control over. Uh, questions then began to fill my mind: uh, Who do we need to talk to? Does his head need to be scanned? Um, then. I took to the internet, which you never should do, uh, because the internet just calmed me down. No. Um, actually, the internet freaked me out even more. But then we went to our doctor, and he just he calmed me down, and he said, hey, listen, this is normal. These lumps will be gone in two months, three months, and, and they were actually gone in less than a month. But see, worry had overshadowed everything. Um, and why? Why is that? Well, it's because worry attaches itself to what we value. The things we value. If I didn't value or love Silas, if he wasn't important to me, then the lumps on his head wouldn't matter. But they mattered. And so here in Matthew 6, we're dropping into a section of what could be called Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we find him speaking to the, that universal struggle of worry and anxiety. Now, everyone in this room today, guaranteed, has experienced moments or seasons of worry and anxiety. Maybe you're in the middle of one right now. Truth be told, I can find myself moving in and out of seasons like this. I'm not speaking today as one who has mastered the topic. No way. I'm speaking as one who desperately needs to hear the words of Jesus on this topic yet again. And so my prayer is that we hear what he says for what it is. Not just the opinion uh, of, of someone on the same level as a New York Times bestseller. Not just a good suggestion, but the words of our King, of the divine King. Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans? Or you could say the nations or the Gentiles run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus here uh, bookends really this section with do not worry in verse 25 and do not worry in verse 34. And as you read this, you might be saying, how how can Jesus say that? I'm actually now worried that I'm worrying. (laughs) Actually, you might have thought that this text, this passage was about worry. But ultimately, it's about what God values and what we value. Jesus talks about the things we all tend to value most, doesn't he? Our lives, our well-being, our health, food and drink. And finally, he addresses clothes. And then he asks a question, isn't life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, yes, yes, life is more important than all those things. But it challenges us to make a comparison. And Jesus is always doing this in his teaching. He's challenging his listeners to make a comparison. Always. He gets right to it. In other words, he's saying, what holds the place of greatest importance, greatest value in your life? You know, all kinds of people came to see Jesus. He was, this is called the Sermon on the Mount because he was on a hillside or a mountain. And there were people I'm sure there were thousands of people gathered around him as he was delivering this sermon. All kinds of people came to see him, adults and children, sick people, sad people, worried people, lots of people worrying about lots of things. Questions would have filled their mind. What if we don't have enough food this week? What if our our clothes, you know, basically fall apart? Where are we going to get our next outfit? What if everything goes wrong? (laughs) You ever have that question? This is all going to fall apart. What then? And to put things in perspective, many in the crowd that day would have been wondering where their next meal was going to come from, or they would have owned simply what was on their back, maybe another set of clothes. And so in this masterful way, Jesus pulls an illustration from the activity happening around them. He says, look at the birds. Just look at the birds. Beautiful simplicity in his illustration. Verse 26, look. In our, the ESV translation, it says, consider. What's it mean? Pay careful attention. Look at in a reflective manner. Think deeply about what you're seeing. It's the same idea in Hebrews 3 that says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look, consider, pay careful attention to the birds. Well, why, Jesus? You ever see a bird walking around all worried and stressed out, wringing its feathers? No, 
I actually think many in the crowd that day would have, would have been laughing, would have been chuckling, would have been, it, they would have found it humorous, what Jesus was saying. But he's driving home a point. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap or store things away in barns yet. And here it is. Your heavenly father feeds them. The first thing I, I want us to see here is that you have a heavenly father. Now, this was a revolutionary way to refer to God at this time. It was personal and intimate. And the truth is, we are always going to be tempted to create a God of our own imagination. We're tempted to dismiss God as uninterested, uninvolved, out there somewhere, but not concerned about our needs or desires or about the details of our life. I mean, that's deism. Deism is we believe in God. We don't know who he or she is, but he's uninvolved. He's out there. He's put things into motion, and now he doesn't really care about our day-to-day lives. But that's not the God of the Bible. And Jesus gives us a way of addressing God that confronts all of our misconceptions, all of our temptations to think he doesn't give a rip, all of our temptations to think that he doesn't care about us or about the details about our, of our lives. The fact that we can approach God as our heavenly father isn't giving us license to be irreverent or overly casual with God. Not at all. You see, we come to our heavenly father with deep respect and reverence, but also with favor and the privilege as sons and daughters. It's not a green light to be irresponsible and never work hard or save or anything like that. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. It gives us amazing insight into how God feels about us and how we can approach him. You have a heavenly father. Your heavenly father is providing for the birds of the air. You have a heavenly father. As a child to his or her father, we can go to our God and trust him to meet our daily needs. Now, in a healthy, loving relationship with a dad, a child can go to that dad uh, for help, for any need. And when the child calls out, the father leans in. Yes, what do you need? Unless it's 3 a.m. And then the father's like, oh, no, you didn't, right? (laughs) But the father provides and protects. Why? The father loves. He values. When you think of father, I want you to think, and we all have mixed experiences with our dads. And we can kind of lay that over this. Lay that grid of our experience with our dad when we hear Heavenly Father. But I want you to think care, compassion, strength. He's accessible. He's welcoming. That's what I want you to think. God is is referred to by Jesus as our Heavenly Father. That should mean something to you. And I, I pray that it does. We might be overly used to that phrase, depending on where you're at, depending on how long you've been around uh, the church or the Bible. Verse 26, he asks a question. Are you not much more valuable than the birds? Yeah, sure. So who of you by worrying, he says, being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Jesus is saying, your worrying achieves nothing. Let's just get that straight. You, you can't accomplish anything by your worrying. And so here we find out what God values most. Second point, you are valued with a much more value. 
you are valued with a much more value. You're valued more than the birds of the air. If, if your heavenly father provides for the birds of the air, he will provide for you. Jesus is, is giving us this illustration, an easy one to remember. I, I'll tell you, I, I needed this message as I was praying just weeks and weeks ago. Lord, what do you want me to bring on the first Sunday that we gather as a church? And it was really clear. This is the passage. He brought it to mind in the time of prayer. It's an unusual text to bring on a first Sunday. I believe God is, is going to minister to people here this morning through this passage. I believe God wants to minister to you. He certainly has been ministering to me as we've been getting ready for this launch day, this first Sunday. Don't worry, Darren. I've got you. I'm your heavenly father. And so, you know, just last week, I'm, I'm stressing out about small things that felt like big things. You know how it goes. Um, and I walk outside and I'd been thinking about this passage and I look up and I see a couple birds, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to look at the birds and I'm going to consider what they do. Uh, and they weren't wringing their, their feathers. They weren't stressing out. They weren't rubbing their neck, freaking out. And God just, again, kindly brought to memory, listen, Darren, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you. So number two, you are valued with a much more value. It's, it's a better by far value. It's so much value. And it's important that I remind uh, my children and my wife how much I value them. I, I can't just think, well, I told them how much I value them five years ago. They're good. That, that's, not, that's not how we want to function as a family. That's not going to work in my family can't think, oh, they already know I value them. No way. It's easy to forget that we're valued, that we mean something to someone. We can start to think we aren't very special or valuable to anyone. And so this is why it's important to remember what Jesus says here. You have a much more value to him, to, the, to your heavenly father. I know it's, it seems basic. But we can go about our day and our week and our month just totally not believing this. This is what Jesus thought was important to communicate on that hillside. You're much more valuable to your heavenly father than the birds. Jesus asks another question that helps emphasize what God values. Yeah, we're talking about worry, but really we're talking about what God values and what you value. Jesus is bringing that out. Verse 28, Jesus asks another question. Why do you worry about clothes? Well, because I'd be naked without them. No. <laughs> yes, you would be. But why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about these material possessions? He says, look at the lilies of the field. It would have been growing all around them. Again, he's just pulling an illustration from what was around them. He compares King Solomon's fashionable splendor and says it doesn't even come close to the way God has clothed the grass of the field. Now, King Solomon would, was David's son, King David's son in the Old Testament. And so Solomon would have, I mean, he, was, he had all the riches, the wealth, all the clothes, all the pomp, all the, the houses, uh, anything that you could think a king had, I mean, Solomon had. And so Jesus is saying, King Solomon doesn't even compare. Will he not much more clothe you, Jesus says? He's clothed the grass of the field with these beautiful lilies. 
with these beautiful flowers, will he not much more clothe you? This speaks of God's much more provision for those that he values with a much more value. Verse 30, oh, you of little faith. I want you to read this with the tone of compassion and desire for his hearers, including us. Not, oh, you of little faith, come on. It's, oh, you of little faith. He wants them to get it. Let's look again. Verse 31. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the nations run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. These are legit needs. These are legit concerns. And Jesus says the nations run after these things. The nations are consumed with these things. And verse 32 reminds us, your heavenly father knows that you need them. And to be honest, sometimes I just need to know that someone else knows. And then I'm okay. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'll give you an example. A lot has come together for this morning to happen. Okay, in, in prep, I had to reach out to various team leaders and just connect with them. Not so much for their sake, but for my sake. You know, I just needed to hear them say, I know what needs to be done and I'm on it. I know what needs to be done, Darren. I gotcha. Sometimes I just need to hear that, that someone else knows what I need. And Jesus is saying, your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows what you need. You don't even have to write out a list for him. He knows. Now, when our team leads were telling me, Darren, we've got this. I know what needs to be done. Then I had to choose to trust them or not. To try to do it all myself and make this morning happen. Or, or just trust that they've got it. They're faithful. They're capable. The same is true with God. Here we're told our Heavenly Father knows. Knowing that he knows I pray, to, I pray makes all the difference to you. Paul echoes Jesus in Philippians 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he goes on to say, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. So we're called then, this is really nothing new that Paul is saying, to rejoice in the Lord and to, to remember the Lord is near. That he's got us, he knows our needs, and he's present with us. And so, I don't have to be anxious about anything. Now again, I know it's easier said than done. What do we do in the midst of those times and those seasons and those moments of anxiety where it just feels like it's overtaking us and worry? We've got to bring them to a father who leans in and cares. Lay them down. Make them known. He knows, but when we make them known, it, it, it just... We're able to release that burden to him and trust him with it. So where are you at? How, how are you doing with anxiety, with worry? What are you anxious over? Is it finances? Is it bad health? Is it relationships? Is it big decisions or small decisions? Is it school or work or your kids or death? Or you're like, yeah, all the above. You know, it's, it's usually when I, I have a thousand things going on at one time and 
I start getting anxious about something that means really nothing. It's, it's insignificant. It's something that I'm just trying to have control over. You ever been there? Maybe you've just got your mind is going and it just needs to settle down. This happens to me quite a bit. And, and when it happens, I realize, okay, Darren, you're just, you're just trying to be in control. Because usually it's something small, like I said, that's magnified into something much bigger, and it shouldn't be. And then once I do get some perspective and calm down, I've got to speak to my racing heart and my racing mind and say, hey, listen, this is really insignificant. You're making a, a, a bigger deal of something because you feel out of control. That might be you. I know it's me from time to time. And I need to fight that. I need to trust in my heavenly father. You know, when we turn to our own efforts to try and control our environment, what happens? Despair, hopelessness, fear easily replaces our trust in God. So some of you might be leaning on things that will in the end hurt you, but you're trying to escape the worry and anxiety in ways that you shouldn't. What kind of things could you be leaning on that in the end might hurt you? A lot of things. Alcohol, drugs, entertainment. Things that are there in your life that you just want to find escape. You just want to find rest and peace for your mind because it's just going a thousand miles an hour. You might be finding yourself on places uh, on the internet or in, in, in the city that you really shouldn't be. You're trying to escape. You're trying to ignore areas of life that feel out of control, that feel all-consuming. You don't know what to do with the weight that is pressing in. Let this passage speak to you right where you are. Now, I know that worry and anxiety can be brought on by psychological and physical reasons, truly. I mean, years ago, I, there was a season where I was anxious, like, like just every day about little things, big things, you name it. And then it came to the point where I, I was reaching for a coffee. I was hanging out with some friends in the morning and my hand was shaking like this. I'm like, okay, there's something wrong with me. And of course I lost 15 pounds and my heart was irregular and it's beat. And so then I realized, okay, there's something wrong with me. It turned out I had a thyroid issue. And so there are physical and psychological uh, events in our life that can bring about worry and anxiety that we need to address. I understand that. But at its root, worry is unbelief. You see, most of our fears are connected to our doubt about God's generosity and his attention to detail. We might be functional deists. We believe that God is, we say that God is present. We say that God cares. We say that he loves us, but we, we live day to day as, as functional deists saying, no, he really doesn't. And the further away we get, the further away we get from believing he cares about the details of our life, just the more callous and numb we can feel towards him. Why would we press into a God that doesn't care? Why would we press into a God and worship a God who, who can't meet our needs or isn't there for us or doesn't know? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why can I do that? Why, Peter, can I cast all my anxiety on him? Because he cares for you. You can, you can cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
So the circumstances of your life might be bad. I'm not saying that everything is going to be like this bed of roses for you. That you're never going to be diagnosed with something. That you're never going to get into a car accident. That your, your kids are never going to be out of control. Circumstances might look bad for you. Okay? The future might feel uncertain. But let me tell you what doesn't change. God's disposition towards you, his love for you. Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How could you say that, Paul? To live is Christ because to go on living, if God, you choose for me to go on living, you see, he was imprisoned when he wrote this. Imprisoned for the gospel's sake, not knowing if his executioner would walk in the next day and say, you're up, buddy, you're next. It had happened to others in the church. Why couldn't it happen to Paul? And eventually it did. Does that mean God was unfaithful the day that he was executed? No. His love didn't change for Paul. But circumstances can look bad and we can say in the face of those circumstances to live as Christ. To live as Christ. Give me perspective, Lord. Help me to put these fears and anxieties and all this worry in its proper place. It's as if Jesus is saying, I know your thoughts. I know all about you. That you struggle with financial fears, the threat of job loss, material needs, and all the insecurities attached to them. But I've come to compete with every false or every misplaced hope that you have. I'm calling you to faith. Don't put your faith or your trust in all these misplaced uh, uh, things, these false hopes. Jesus' followers are called to live differently from those who don't trust in God's fatherly love. We're called to live different. You know, last week, uh, a lot happened last week. Last week, I threw out an iPad. Who does this? Okay. It didn't work. It was a paperweight. Okay. It was old. It was first generation. We kept it a long time, but it still felt weird. Okay. I dropped it in my garbage can. It was like, I was like, oh, it's an iPad. Oh, okay. I got to walk away. Um, but everything Everything eventually that we purchase, that we value, and we're like, ooh, an iPad. Oh, don't scratch it. Protect it. Help. Okay. Everything eventually will be garbage. Whether it's new shoes, a new car, the new home that begins to fall apart. All of it. Eventually, all the material stuff that we accumulate, it eventually just becomes garbage. We need to put these things in their right place. Knowing we have a heavenly father, knowing that we are valued, we're then told to do something that will reveal what we truly value, what we truly value. We've learned what the father values, and that's you. He values you with a much more value than the birds of the air or the lilies of the field. He values you. But now we need to ask ourselves, what do we value? Where are our priorities? And ultimately, where is our allegiance? And that's what Jesus gets at in this next section He says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The kingdom. What kingdom is he speaking of? The kingdom of God. What is that? What's the kingdom of God? It's certainly not a destination that we can arrive at in our cars. Hey, honey, get the kids, get in the car. We're going to the kingdom today. It's not like that. What is the kingdom that Jesus is speaking of? If we're going to seek this kingdom, we have to know what it is. It's not a destination. 
It's the rule and the reign of King Jesus in and over our entire lives. When you think kingdom, think there's a king who's present. You see, Jesus came on the scene when he began his public ministry declaring the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's present. How? Where? Well, right here. You see, Jesus is Messiah. He's the anointed one. He is the king that the prophets had proclaimed and the people had been waiting for. And so Jesus comes and he says, I'm the king that you've been waiting for. And I'm proclaiming the kingdom. So come, believe, repent, turn away from your way of life. Turn away from centering your life on yourself and look to me as king. Look to my rule because it's a loving rule. It's a good rule. Seek first the kingdom. In seeking the kingdom, you're seeking Christ. So Jesus is coming to us in human form. His taking on flesh was the fulfillment of promises made by God to rescue lost sinners and establish this everlasting kingdom. That's the kingdom he's speaking of. Now to seek this kingdom, to seek Christ, means to direct your attention consistently. It implies a continuing obligation, an undistracted pursuit. So if you're seeking this kingdom, then Jesus is your greatest priority because Jesus is the king of this kingdom. He's the one you value most. So Jesus says, listen, I I know you've got all these worries and anxieties. Look at the birds, look at the fields, look at the lilies and seek the kingdom. Know that your heavenly father values you with a much more value, but you need to value the kingdom. And in valuing the kingdom, it'll put everything else in its right place. Everything else. You could say as Paul to live as Christ because you're seeking him with your all. He's your priority. He's your joy. You can take my... My material possessions away. My health can deteriorate and become nothing. I could find out I'm diagnosed with some crazy disease tomorrow. But the reality is, it doesn't change who Jesus is in my life. That he's king and I'm living for his kingdom. And Jesus says, seek this kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Are you living in a way that demonstrates Jesus' rule? Jesus is good, loving rule over you. Are you bowing to his rule? You know how you enter the kingdom? We all enter the same way. By faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent is that one of those words that you have to define again and again. I have to do that. It just means turn away. Turn away from the way of life, of just living for yourself or putting other things at the center and, and look to Jesus. He's saying, Turn away from that and look to me. Trust in me. The greatest demonstration of God's love is Jesus' righteous life lived for you, a life of obedience and his substitutionary death on the cross for you. Because your righteousness isn't enough. Your goodness isn't enough. Do, Do you believe? Have you repented? Have you entered the kingdom this way? Well, he says, you've got to seek the kingdom. So it's not just this one time thing like, yeah, I'm good. I've entered. There is a a sweetness in knowing we're saved, that we're in Christ, that we're a part of the kingdom, that we're his child. Oh my goodness. There's so much rest and peace that comes from that. But he says, now continue with perseverance, with endurance to seek me with your, with all your being. So this passage is about what God values and what we value. The command, do not worry, requires a new value system. Those who seek first the kingdom of God have come to value the king and his kingdom with a much more value. Do you? Do you value 
the kingdom with a much more value, more than anything else? Are you so overtaken by the kingdom that you consider it more important than the object of your worry? Let it put everything else in its proper place. We're all seekers. We all live for something. We all set our hearts and minds somewhere. What do you value most? Who or what are you seeking? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time in your word. Lord, we want to make it our resolve to seek your kingdom, your righteousness. We want to answer our anxieties and our worry with what we value most. And that's your kingdom and the king of your kingdom, Jesus. That he would be our greatest joy, that he would be our greatest priority, our greatest treasure, that we would see his rule as a loving rule, a gracious rule. The king and the kingdom that we were meant to live for. Oh God, thank you for your faithfulness today to address our worry, our fears, our anxieties. Thank you for caring for us and help us when we, Lord, are, are, are freaking out, when we're stressed out, when we're worrying, to look at the birds, to look at the flowers, and to remind ourselves what we value most. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, what I'd like to do is we end our time. We have um, just a few more minutes. I'd like to pray the Lord's Prayer together um, as just in this sermon that Jesus gave, just a, a really a, a few um, paragraphs before this section in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives uh, the disciples a prayer because they ask, teach us, Lord, how to pray. And so Jesus gives them this prayer. And we could pray this um, together and I'd like to do that, but I'd also like to just to take a minute after each phrase and let it, let it launch us into areas of thoughtfulness that we would ponder what's being said that we wouldn't move on too quickly because I think with this prayer that can happen. We just kind of say it. And so let's, let's do that. Let's, let's move slowly. Let's together read our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pause for a minute. You're our Father in heaven. Your name is holy and set apart. The fact that we can come to you as Father is amazing that we're your children. Thank you that we have this right and this access. Help us not to forget it. What's next? Let's together read. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes, God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your rule and reign be evident in our lives. We pray as a church that we would show that we're submitting to your loving rule by the way we live, not just by what we say. Your kingdom come and let others see you for who you are, a gracious king. Next, on earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread. 
on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. In St. Petersburg, Florida, as it is in heaven. Let your rule be evident here in our city, in our midst, in our home. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, thank you for the forgiveness you offer. May we never, never, Lord, hold on to unforgiveness. It's not our right. We have been forgiven so much. If we belong to you, then our sins have been washed away. How can we then harbor bitterness and envy? How can we hold unforgiveness towards others? Lord, help us to get right with others. Help us not to hold on to unforgiveness as if it's our right. But to, Lord, to trust you with any offenses that have come our way. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You're our provider, you're our protector. You go before us. You're our deliverer. You're the one who gives us life and breath and everything. Our hearts are beating because, Lord, you sustain us. God, we thank you that you love us, that you value us with a much more value. Help us to value your kingdom with a much more value. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. We hope you get connected to a house group. Uh, we, um, what are you pointing at, Marty? People are asking of how to give. Oh yeah, we didn't mention that. We're not going to mention that very often. We have these giving stations that you can give and you can give online as well. That's the easiest way to give. Guys, thank you for being here. We hope to see you again next Sunday and get connected to a house group this week. Thank you. God bless.